do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I want to read it one more time. It's short. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul uses an analogy here when he's writing to the church in Corinth about running. It's a church that he, uh, it's an image that he uses frequently, and it's an image that they would have really understood because the church in Corinth there, Corinth was a city that hosted a big, it wasn't the Olympics, but it was big kind of like the Olympics. And so they would have seen running a lot in a big track. And so Paul's making an analogy. He's saying that you're running a race, and the race that we run when we decide to follow Jesus, we give our lives to him, is we're running a race of following Jesus. There's no spectators in, in following Jesus. It's, all, it's an all play. And so we say when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you begin this race. But he's, he isn't just saying, just oh, you're in a nice race, just run a race. He's saying, you run a race, you run it to win. Just like when people are training for an event... It, it, they're not just out there to have a good time, at least not Olympians or the top-level athletes. They're in it to win it. And he's saying that's the same thing. When we follow Jesus, this life, this path that he's laid out before us, this race that he's called us to run, we aren't invited simply to just run the race, but to run it with the mentality that we desire to win it. Now, in our culture, we're like, whoa, it sounds a little competitive. Uh, it sounds a little bit weird. And I don't think what he's saying here is, therefore, we need to compete against one another and say, I'm outdoing you. I'm better than you. Oh, I'm definitely faster than you, right? I don't think that's what his mentality is here in comparing ourselves to one another, right? God's laid out different things for us to accomplish and the good works that he sent out for each one of us to do. However, I think what he's getting at is if we don't understand the goal or the thing that we're trying to attain, if our mentality isn't to do the best God's called us to be, if our mentality isn't to win it, it influences how we train. So when I was in, I was in high school, I, I was a swimmer, and I was a swimmer my, my whole life growing up since I was a little kid. And um, I found a little bit of success in swimming. And so when I got to high school, um, I was the captain of the swim team. And I don't say that to boast. My high school is like 15 people. It's nothing. It's like... <laughs> I think everyone was the captain or something, right? <laughs> so um, I, I would swim, and I, I had the mentality, I, I want to win. And I won a lot of the races that I swam. And so every time I swam, I had the mentality, I'm, I'm here to win. I'm going to compete. And, and that was my focus. And so much so that I worked hard in practice because I knew the harder I worked in practice, the better chance I had at winning and beating really good competitors. I mean, so you'd, you'd endure all kinds of pain, all kinds of suffering, where you'd be swimming, and all of a sudden, you know, you'd finish, and you'd get to the, to the ledge, and you start, you're puking in the gutter, right? Any other swimmers? You know what I'm talking about? And you get done puking, you're like, all right, let's go do it again. 
I, I would endure all kinds of uh, uh, other training. I would, I would watch what I would eat before I would swim. I mean, not like all the time, but at least right before I would swim. I'd make sure I didn't eat too much junk before I'd swim because it gave me the best opportunity to win. Winning was what I focused on. That was my goal. That was what was set before me. And so my, my whole life, everything was set to its training to that goal. And, and it led to winning a lot of the time. On the contrary, I got suckered into running track um, for a year or two in high school. I have no idea why I ever agreed to do it. Track is the worst, right? <laughs> running, the worst. So I, I don't know. Some guys like, hey, you should join the track team. It'll be good cross-training for swimming. Okay, that sounds, that sounds good enough. Well, it didn't take me long to realize I hated running. Not good when you're on the track team. So I noticed a couple of people that were kind of off on their own, doing their own thing, and those were the hurdlers. And I thought, they look like they're kind of not, they don't have the coach's eye. They can get away with sloughing off. Hey, coach, I want to be a hurdler, right? <laughs> so he's like, whatever, you're not good anyway. Go be a hurdler. So <laughs> I would, uh, I, I did the hurdles, whatever, whatever that was. But what I found myself doing at a lot of meets, my, my focus was not winning at all. My focus was to hang out with the throwers, you know, the big, the big dudes that um, would throw heavy objects as far as they could. Um, I would hang with those dudes because those dudes, dudes know how to have a good time. And they would bring their own little grill to these events. <laughs> Serious. Praise the Lord for those guys, right? <laughs> they grill steaks and burgers and all that stuff. And so I found myself at meets, instead of like warming up and getting myself ready mentally, I'd hang with these guys, I'd be pounding burgers and be like, oh, I got to go run, quickly go run and come back and slam another steak down, right? I'll tell you this, I never won a race in track. I don't think I even came close to winning a race in track. I didn't train nearly hard enough to win a race. My goal was just don't come in last place. And that sometimes even happened, praise the Lord for that, right? But... I say that to say, when my goal was to win it, my mentality was way different. When my goal was just to participate, I, I didn't put forth hardly any effort, except how many hamburgers I could eat in one sitting, right? But that, that, that's the mentality I think Paul's getting at here. Are we in this race of following Jesus? Are we in it to win it? Or are we in it to participate? Are, are you running the race to win or are you running the race to simply cross the finish line and receive your participation ribbon? See, Paul calls us to, to pursue this goal. What is this finish line that we're, we're running towards? What is it that we're running towards? I'll say it's this. There will be a day. There will be a day when we cross that finish line, some sooner than later, when we die. And that day when we cross that finish line, when we follow Jesus Christ, we will behold him and see his glory and splendor and awe and wonder, and we will behold him face to face. Not only that, but in that finish line that we behold him and we see him face to face, that when we come to faith in Jesus, we begin this race and we are given a new identity. We are called holy. We are called beloved. We are called righteous. We are called pure. But we begin this process of learning to live out that identity. And that identity, we will see it fully realized when we behold Jesus face to face. And we will see him. And we will become completely Christ-like in, in, uh, in our character. With no more sin. No more uh, shame. No more guilt. All this have gone. And we'll, we will walk in purity and reflect back to him Christ-likeness fully within us. Back to himself. 
we will know him. And not only that, the Bible talks about there will be a day when we die where we will stand in judgment. And in this, this is not good news for those that do profess Jesus. These people who do not know the Lord, this is incredible news for those that know Jesus. One of the things I'm shocked at is how much fear this idea of judgment brings to believers. And if I were to ask you, when you stand before God on that day of judgment, and he asks you, why should I let you in eternity with me, what would you say? I ask that question a lot to people because I think it tells us a lot of understanding about the understanding what the gospel truly is. And what I'm amazed at is how often we say things like, well, he would say to me, you, you worked really hard. He would say things like, ah, you were good enough. Or I hope he'll see that, that I tried, or I hope he'll see that I gave it my best effort. Listen, for believers, what gives us confidence on the day of judgment is not how awesome you were or how many good things you did. The only thing that gives us confidence as followers of Jesus Christ on the day of judgment is that when we stand before him, the only reason why we get to spend an eternity with him and know him face to face both now and into eternity is not because you were awesome, because Jesus is awesome. It is purely because of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us of all unrighteousness. It is only by his blood. It is only by his perfection. It is only by his righteousness that we get to spend eternity with the Father. That's it. Now, there will be some kind of judgment, though, for those of us that profess Christ. And it talks about in the Bible that we will stand and give an account for the things that we've done in the flesh. We'll stand and give an account for the things. Were we good stewards of this relationship? Were, were we faithful with what God asked us to do here? Do we walk in obedience here? How do we do loving our neighbor here? How are we, those things. But it's not an issue of heaven or hell. That those will be an, it will be an issue of being rewarded with eternal rewards. Now again, in our culture that demands fairness, we think, well, well how's that going to be? Is everyone going to receive equal rewards? No. You will receive, you'll be rewarded for the faithfulness of what we've done on this earth. And it will be a glorious thing. Now, it's not going to be one of those things where you feel like I'm getting gypped on because we're going to behold Jesus face to face, okay? But there is, I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but the Bible is really clear. Like, you're going to be rewarded and stand account for the things that you've done. And so on that day, we behold Jesus. We see him face to face. We are completely transformed into Christ's likeness. And we are rewarded for the things that we've done on this earth, and we get to spend the eternity with him. That's what we're pursuing. That's what we're running towards. And the thing is, like, I think sometimes we have this mentality that's like, we, we think that this, this, this race, okay, what's, this thing oftentimes I hear is following Jesus is a marathon, not a sprint. Okay, that's true to some degree. But I think oftentimes we use that as an excuse to not eagerly pursue the end line, finish line, eagerly run after Christ himself. Because uh, I'll tell you what, marathon runners, they don't just slack off for 26 point, what is it, one miles, two miles, whatever, three, three miles, 26.3, really, point two, no offense John, but I, I, don't, I, I was going to, 26.2, all right. They get, they, they run and they get faster and faster and faster with each mile. 
Marathon runners, their last mile is often faster than any other mile that they've run before. And so this idea that, yes, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, it's true. But that doesn't mean we run aimlessly, doesn't mean we slack off. It means we run with intentionality and with purpose. And I don't know if I have two more years on this earth or if I have 52 more years on this earth. But I want each year to be run with more intentionality and more purpose than the year before. You know, I am so encouraged. I see... I'm going to, mature, I'll say mature folks in this place, who've, who've stepped into retirement. And you folks who have stepped in retirement, I think, are a model and an inspiration for us. Because the American dream says, I'm going to run hard until I've reached my retirement age, and then I've put in my time, so I'm going to coast and now do whatever I want to do. And you have people in your midst here who would not want me to point them out, who I will. Right? Rooter over there just put his head down so I wouldn't look at him. Right? You got, a, you got a guy that retires from teaching public school and says, not, okay, I've put in my time as discipling kids, but says, now I get more free time to do the things that God's called me to do and invest even more in students' lives as a chaplain at Hope College, right? You got guys like, women like Margaret, where she was over here, who's retired, right? You hate this, I know. <laughs> women like Margaret, who is... Uh, in, in, in her later years and is not slowing down but ramping it up and saying I want to finish strong because Jesus is worthy yeah. got people like Glenn and Sue back there same thing Glenn recently retires and isn't like oh great now I can kick my feet up it's, he's going through a season of uh, discerning what's the Lord calling into in this next season so I can finish stronger than I even started with praise the Lord yeah. man you guys are such an encouragement to, to us keep it up um, I don't know how I got in that tangent, but um, <laughs> you, got, you just, you guys, are, you're so, you, you literally, I know you hate the attention, you don't know for the attention, but I think about what Paul says, right? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I think we should follow you guys like you follow Christ, because I want to be like that when I get old too, or mature too, okay? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> it's, <laughs> Quick change the topic. I mean, well, how, how do these folks do it? How do these men and women do it? Um, I think the key is what Paul says here is to be disciplined. When you we have that goal that you're moving towards, your whole life is oriented around that goal and discipline. Think about like professional athletes, right? Like from Tom Brady or Kirk Cousins or like... Um, Michael Phelps, you name it. It's not just when they get in the pool that they're training hard. Their whole life, diet, focus, is all about that end goal. And I think that's what Paul's calling us to. When we have this goal of pursuing Jesus and, and, and running hard after him, is are we going to walk with a discipline that lines up our lives and our body toward that goal? Now, here's the thing. In our culture, discipline is seen as a dirty word. Discipline's not a dirty word. Discipline is a gift from the Lord. Listen, I don't know about you, but my emotions are high and low and up and down. Woo, woo. And so often, when I'm not walking in discipline with the Lord, in discipline and spending time with Him, uh, my relationship and pursuit of Jesus is based purely on my emotions. That ain't good. It's nice when it's like, oh, Jesus, I feel you, right? Like, I, you healed me. I saw you uh, bearing much fruit, God. I pray for someone and something happens. What about those days where I start praying for people and stuff doesn't happen like I think it should? 
What happens when I get in the Word? I'm like, oh, man, I'm not feeling it today. Eh, I guess I'll wait till I start feeling it next time before I come back into the Word. Uh, what happens then is I'm pursuing Jesus and working toward the goal, the goal being my comfort, the goal being my desire, the goal being my emotions, rather than being the goal being the pursuit of Jesus. Because here's the thing. When my pursuit is Jesus, discipline helps me realize and gives me tools to walk in pursuit of Him, not because I feel it or not one day, but because He's worthy of it now and tomorrow. This discipline is, is a gift. I mean, even I'm thinking discipline of like choosing to wake up early to spend time with the Lord. Like if you're, if you're running a race, you find the time to train for a marathon. So I'm told, right? <laughs> if we put that kind of discipline in for worldly gain, that's what he's saying here, for a crown that fades, they would get a crown for winning that was just made out of like plants and stuff, right? It, that fades away. If we're willing to do that for temp temporary things, how much more should we do it for eternal things? Like just the discipline. I'm choosing to wake up. I'm choosing to spend time with the Lord because he's worthy. I'm choosing to be thankful today. I'm choosing the discipline of writing out all the things I'm thankful for today, not because I'm feeling thankful, but because he's worthy of my thanks. I'm choosing today to, to get in the Word and to pray today because He's worthy. I'm choosing today because I, I, that's what gives me life. I'm choosing this today. I'm choosing to love my enemy today. I'm choosing to love my neighbor today. I'm choosing to do those things. Oftentimes, we've made love like uh, all about an emotion. Honestly, guys, love isn't, the emotions come and go. Love oftentimes is a choice. For those of you who are married you, longer than a year, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Discipline just gives us the rhythm of saying, I'm choosing to do this because I love you and you're worth my time and worth me showing up. I think where we can get off is, um, I think how we stay on track with this is where it says in Hebrews, let's look at it, Hebrews 12. I think this is on the screen. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, this is right, the therefore is right after he lists all these things in Hebrews 11, all these uh, figures of faith um, that have gone before us. And then after that it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the cross, or for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Like, I think that's what we're called to do. When we're in this pursuit of, uh, of walking, running this race with endurance, running this race with per perseverance, running this race to win, I think what keeps our mindset correct is when we fix our gaze upon Jesus. Because when, when we're feeling like our emotions are up and down, or I'm not feeling on a particular day, or I'm doing God's stuff that he wants me to do with the wrong intention, when we fix our gaze upon Jesus, we say, God, I'm not feeling it today, but I praise you that you're still worth it today. God, would you give me a heart that matches up with my actions today we have this temptation it's like oh I shared the gospel with the wrong motive or I was praying with the wrong motive the real selfish motive or I was whatever with the wrong motive and we want to just chuck it out 
And instead, discipline says, no, these are the right things to do. I'm going to continue to do it. But what avoids us from being hypocritical is saying, oh, Jesus, would you just line up my heart to have the right and pure motive as I do what you've asked me to do? I'm not saying that you should have no emotion. I mean, look at this guy, right? But I'm saying our, our motion can't be the driver. The emotions must follow in submission to King Jesus. Like, there's going to be days when it's like lights out following Jesus is, oh, my gosh, you see stuff happen. You're feeling God. You're hearing God. Like, boom, it's like, oh, this is crazy, right? And there's days when it's hard. God calls us to fix our gaze upon him and say, I'm choosing to walk in these things because you're worth it today. Think about it in marriage, right? How often in your marriage, I hate to tell you, for those that aren't married, a lot of days, man, it's like, oh, things are blowing up. Oh, I love being married. This is awesome. And there's a day, maybe like once a year or something, where... Way to go. Yeah, right? Or maybe a little more. Um, where you, you're just not feeling it. So often we walk away from a marriage because we're not feeling it anymore. But marriage is not based on a feeling. It's based on a commitment. Same thing with the Lord. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's taken away our old life and given us new life. He's brought us from the kingdom of dark, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Our life is no longer ours, but his. That, that is a commitment that's not based on feeling or emotion. It's based on his worth and his steadfastness. And praise the Lord that while we are not steadfast or faithful, he is steadfast and he is faithful. That we choose. Fixing our gaze upon him. He is the author and he is the perfecter of our faith. And I think that when we fix our gaze on Jesus, it helps us from going the other way, which makes it such like really legalistic. Some of you are like, oh man, I'm so disciplined with the Lord. I get up and spend six hours in the word, three hours in prayer, sharing the gospel 46 times a day, wherever it may be. And it's all discipline. But God's not after our discipline for the sake of just doing stuff apart from intimacy and relationship with him. God's not about just doing stuff. He wants us to do what he's asked us to do and run the race with perseverance and run the race hard, but to do it out of an overflow of love for him, the way we do that is by intimacy with him. Some of you this morning, you're like, I'm good, I've got Jesus figured out, I'm running, 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 but your heart is far from him. This morning, maybe the reminder for you is not, I've just got to run, I've got to run, I've got to run, but he is the author and he is the perfecter of our faith. It makes me think... Um, Colossians chapter 1. Oh, I think this is on the screen. Colossians 1. It's the very end. Of, yes, awesome. Okay. It's at the very end of Colossians chapter 1. This is Paul. Paul was like, he was a maniac, man. And he um, started a ton of churches and shared the gospel with bazillions of people. And he had, he had this understanding of pressing hard after the Lord. And it, and it wasn't this idea of, um, it's not like people looked at Paul and be like, Paul, just chill out, bro. You're so legalistic. Just chill out, bro. You're a little bit, eh, right? He understood. He, he knew that Jesus was worth his all. And not only that, he understood that Jesus was worth other people coming to know him as well. He was, Jesus was worth the maturity of other people reflecting back to him the glory that Jesus deserved. And so he worked hard. But I think this is the key that we can learn from as we pursue Jesus as well. The end of Colossians chapter 1 verse, what verse is that? 28. Him, meaning Jesus, we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. I mean, that's like, I toil, struggling with all his energy that is powerfully, that he powerfully works within me. I think that's the key. That God has set before us a, a work. God has set before us a path of following him. I do believe there's an urgency in sharing the gospel. I do believe that there's an urgency in praying for the sick. I do believe there's an urgency in ministering and loving people. I do believe there's an urgency in knowing the Lord. I do believe there's an urgency and we should strive and work hard. But here's the key is that when we keep our, our eyes fixed upon Jesus, we recognize it's not our strength, our effort, our work. It is his strength, he says. Paul says, it is his strength which is so powerfully at work within me. Summer Rampart, run hard. Run to win. Don't run just to get a participation ribbon at the end. God is worth you pursuing him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I know for some of you, if you're like me, um, Every year there's like a, Michelle gives me a hard time about this, but every year there's like a two-week window where I'm like, I'm going to run and I'm going to be good at running. <laughs> two weeks, right? <laughs> One week? <laughs> where I'm like, that's it. I'm changing my whole life, man. I'm going to get running shoes and running clothes and I'm going to go for it. And after a week, I'm like, I can't do this. I'm quite quit. Right? I, I think that's sometimes the temptation when you hear something like this, run hard. You're like, I got to run hard and quit everything and do all these things. Just ask Jesus where to start. He'll tell you. Right? He's so good. He's so kind. He'll tell you what to do. Like when you, when you run a marathon, it's not like you start running 26 miles right away. You start small. Start small. Start with saying five minutes a day. And not even to be legalistic. It's just to be disciplined and counter the Lord. Get in the word. Get in prayer. Be disciplined. Even if it's like just a small amount of time so that you can build up to longer amounts of time. But here's the thing this morning. We were praying this morning. One thing kept popping up today is that for a lot of you, you've been told or you've heard and you believe the lie that you are not qualified. You are not learned enough. You are not skilled enough to, to know how to read the Bible on your own. That is a lie from the pit of hell. First John says that you don't even need a teacher because you have the Holy Spirit who's your teacher. You have the Spirit of God. You follow Jesus. You have the Spirit of the living God who dwells within you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in you. So, to eliminate that excuse, um, we're going to do a training right after church today. Okay? And this is a training. It's a tool that we use to teach people how to, how to read the Bible and encounter the Lord in the Bible. It's called SOAPS. And some of you at the mission right now, I know we're getting lit up by this. It's awesome. Um, so if you, want, if you want to eliminate that excuse today and have one step in learning how to walk in this, in a regular rhythm of reading the word, there's going to be training in the balcony uh, right after church. So I suggest that if you don't want to be part of the training, you run onto the balcony right after church, right? But I encourage you. My encouragement also is for you that are in a house church. We just launched six more house churches um, praise the Lord, and, and they seem are, are seemingly are going well, but there's a temptation 
to um, ignore that last third for those in your house church. House church is three-thirds. Look back, look up, look forward. And look forward is, is not in a legalistic sense of like, we ask three questions. How do I obey this? Who do I need to train in what we just talked about? And who do I need to share the gospel with or, or, or my story with? And there's a temptation to be like, just doing it out of obligation and just doing it out of duty. And that's not what that last third is about. That last third is simply a discipline to say, I'm giving the Lord space to speak to me so I can hear what he wants me to do and then walk it out. So my encouragement for those of you in house church to walk in this discipline is do not ignore that last third. But be diligent and be disciplined in giving space for the Lord to speak to you in those things. All right, that's enough ranting today. Um, Let's just pray real quick. Uh, yeah, I think the band, wants you guys come up? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and see what the Lord wants to do. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do next? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to each one of us as you love to do. God, where do, where, do, where do each one of us need encouragement? Where have we gotten off, off the race? Or where are, we, where are we coasting? Or where are we trying to do things in our own strength? Where are we just being legalistic? Where are we um, doing things based on how I'm feeling today rather than your worth today? Jesus, I, I praise you that as we gaze upon you and we behold you, you're conforming us into your likeness. And so, God, I thank you that as we fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of the faith, the one who's begun the work in us, will see it to completion. God, would you spur us on towards running hard, running after you, running after the things that you've called us to step into. I pray against... Um, just a desire to perform for the sake of others. I pray against uh, guilt and shame for not stepping into what you've called us to do. God, I, I, I pray against um, just a lie that they can't hear from you. I pray for the lie that they can't read your word. I pray for the lie that they can't encounter you, that that would be gone right now in Jesus' name. God, I, I pray that we would be encouraged by your spirit, by those that have gone before us. Not just the great cloud of witnesses, it says in Hebrews 12, that have died and are looking and encouraging us to pursue and run hard. But I thank you for those faithful brothers and sisters that sit in our midst that are a model for us of what it means to have a lifelong, disciplined pursuit of you, Jesus. God, I thank you what you've done for them, you'll do for us too. I thank you by, it's not by our might, it's not by our power, it's not by our ability to structure our day or be really scheduled, but it is by the power of your spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come. Holy Spirit, that you would speak and minister to us. Fix our gaze upon you, Jesus. We love you. We praise to Jesus' glorious name. Amen.